Welcome to the 401k Marketing Podcast. Are you ready to be the go-to expert in the retirement plan community? Listen in as we share ideas, resources, and best practices that you can use to professionalize your firm, demonstrate your authority, and earn more 401k business. Marsha Mantel knows retirement planning. For nearly 30 years, she has helped demystify retirement concepts and regulations for top financial services firms and advisors. Marsha writes extensively as a guest columnist, runs her company, Mantell Retirement Consulting, and is considered an expert in Social Security and Medicare. Marsha is with host Rebecca Hourhand for this episode of 401k Marketing. Hi, Marsha. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, we're super excited to have you here today. And we're really excited to talk about your background, dive into some of the nitty gritty specifics of Social Security and Medicare, and then learn some of those funny little tangent stories that I know we're going to dive into to see how can we give better education to the folks who are on their journey towards their wonderful golden years. Oh, it's a perfect script for today. I'm super excited to talk about all of it. I love it. Well, hey, let's um, dive in. You have a very, very impressive background. I just want to call that out to everyone who's listening here today. We have an industry expert and veteran on the phone. But Marsha, in your own words, kind of tell us about your background in this business. Well, I think like all, and by the way, thank you for those compliments. I think like all retirement, quote, experts or specialists, we fell into this. It was nothing planned, nothing even, you know, graceful necessarily. And it's no different for me. I started out in traditional direct marketing and had about 10 years in that side of the business of, of industry. And then I literally fell into Fidelity Investments. And I came in an era when rollovers hadn't been a thing until 1992. See, for all you young folks out there, rollover, the rollover business has been, you know, our bread and butter. Well, it didn't exist in the early 90s. So when I started in the business, we were just inventing, you know, what the rollover IRA was going to be. And that was my first foray into retirement. And yeah, it's quite a history of our business. And And it's just fascinating because I remember when I left my first job, I had a 401k. We didn't know what it was. We didn't know what to do with it. Someone said, put some money in. We put some money in. Then I left my job in 1987. And about two weeks later, in the mail, arrived a check. And it was my rollover, my 401k balance. We bought a couch. It's all good. (laughs) You know, what else would you do with it when you're 27 years old? Sure. Yeah, so that, that's the, the very beginning in the retirement industry. So I, I spent 13 years at Fidelity, then moved when my kids were starting high school. I had a high schooler and a fifth grader. And it's very, very hard to be in corporate America and try to be a mom. Unless you're at the way top, it's very, very demanding. So in 2005, I stepped off the big corporate track and started my own consulting business and two blinks, two graduations, and my kids are turning 25 and 30, and I'm 16 years into my consultancy. So it's been um, an amazing journey. And I, I do a lot of writing, both in the creating these I call them innovative and engaging programs that advisors can use with their clients, or I do a lot of presentations direct to consumers or help home offices build 
their infrastructure around retirement. You know, I kind of get to do all of that as a consultant, and it's just a great bit of fun. And on the side, I write a blog, and I've written two books with the third one I thought was going to come out this year, but let's go with 2022 <laughs> as we're in the middle of June already, and all I have is an outline. So that's my background. Wow. I did not know you were a fellow Fidelity alum. <laughs> oh, yes. I had quite quite a career there. It was you really fill your tool bag with amazing things when you work at one of the big companies like a Fidelity. I had, I had a great tenure there. Wow. I did not, I, you know what? I learned something new. I absolutely, and the IRA side of the business, I guess it's kind of akin now to the HSA side, these tiny little, everyone says Mm -hmm. tiny little account balances, but then all of a sudden it's not so tiny. Yeah, they do grow and mature over time. And then they become real part of your overall financial plan. It's totally true. And things do start out so small. So I was on the retail side of Fidelity Mm -hmm. for 11 of the 13 years. And so I did things like set up programming for required minimum distributions and small business. I did a lot on the small business side. So I launched the self-employed 401k. That was a nothing at one point. The Roth IRA wasn't invented until Mm -hmm. the mid 90s. So I worked on that project. So yeah, there's a lot of these little, what appear to be little retirement trinkets Mm -hmm. that get tossed out there in some gigantic piece of legislation. And then they become these massive pieces of the business. Yeah. Yeah, And the HSAs are the, I've worked on a number of HSA projects uh, for various clients. And it, you're right. It's the same kind of idea. You can so, put in a few thousand, it grows to millions. Mm-hmm. I was a high school and I was a pizza girl waitress. Oh, and I love my, it. Da- my dad said, Hey Bex, I, there's this new thing out there called a Roth IRA, Roth IRA. And I was, I think I was 17 or 18 or something like that. And he goes, here's the deal. I will give you a thousand bucks if you take the thousand bucks that you made all summer long, hustling your butt off, (laughs) slinging pizzas, ice creams, walking back and forth, fish and chips, you name it. And you open a Roth IRA. Now, you know, that's simple math as a kid. Like, yeah, sure. Sounds great. And so I opened a Roth IRA. It was a thousand dollar limit back then. That's how much you could put in. And that was my first Roth account back. Yeah, I totally forgot about that story. I love that. We've done kind of the same thing for our kids. You know, when they had real jobs, you know, couldn't be babysitting. It had to be wages. We funded small amounts in their Roth IRAs. But when you start at 16, 17, 18, and you let it go for 60 years, Right. I, I said to the girls, when I'm long dead, you were going to look at that Roth IRA and right, say, oh, thank you, mom. <laughs> well, I think this is such a perfect segue because your expertise is absolutely in the social security, the retirement planning space. So kind of tell us about how specifically you transitioned your career with Fidelity. You're now started your consultancy and you just went, sunk your teeth into all those rules and regulations around social security specifically and Medicare. So kind of tell us about your journey towards that direction of the business. Well, sure. Once you fall by mistake into the retirement industry, it will be no surprise to you that I also fell into Social Security, much by mistake. But it was actually a question. So one of my colleagues asked what seemed to be a very simple question. 
And that was she was approaching age 62. And like the entire world knows you can start Social Security at 62. Ah, sure, you take a little bit of a cut, but heck, I can get free money. Yeah, yeah none of that applies, by the way. But she asked the question, said, if I claim at 62, I'm going to keep working. She's got this big power job. I'm just going to put it aside as investment money. Do you think that's a good idea? So that was the question. I said, well, I have no idea. Let me just check a bit. Well, thank goodness that she asked that question because you very quickly find out with Social Security, there are, I don't know, 8 million rules. And one of the rules is if you are not at your full retirement age and you claim while you're working, Mm -hmm. you don't actually get any money. It's all clawed back. So she would never have seen any money because she wasn't retired. And one of those key fundamental pieces of knowing and understanding Social Security is it's there for one big reason, and that's retirement. So if you're still working, you are not retired. So that's how I literally fell into learning more and more about Social Security. And every time you turn over you know, one page, you end up sinking 50 more pages into the mix. And it has been absolutely fascinating. And then I literally have the law books sitting in my office in Plymouth (laughs) because when you work in the retirement space, you you sort of fundamentally have to get that these are all laws first. Then the regulations come and then you try to figure out how to implement it all. And you have to follow the chain. So social security is no different. 1935, Social Security law, the Social Security Act is passed. And it is remarkably, in some ways, the same as it was 85 years ago. Wow. So it's, it was really a fall in. And then as the onion gets peeled, you then figure out pretty quickly, you can't do Social Security alone. It has to be part of an overall retirement income plan. Mm-hmm. And Medicare is a huge component and actually sits in the Social Security law. So the two are very closely tied together. So it's sort of this natural progression and you have to dive in. There's no dabbling in social security. When you're in the the professional world, whether you're the retirement plan advisor, giving advice to a plan, even talking about when your employees get ready to retire or you're the employee, you either know this stuff or you don't. So it's a love at this point. I really like the fact that you keep referring to it as an onion, because what we've found is that every time you learn a little bit more, you peel back another layer and then you go, oh, oh, okay. And now you have a whole bunch of if thens, yes. where if this, then that, oh, and and then there's like 20 of them. <laughs> you look like, at which, it. Right. Which layer are we on? And the tears, by the way, are pouring out of your eyes at this point, too. So, yeah, it's very much an onion scene going on. In oh, it's so good. Well, part of our listeners, the majority of them are retirement plan advisors or uh, folks who are retirement plan professionals in our business. And a lot of times, many employers who they work with have these great intentions of helping their employees who are nearing retirement with resources to better prepare. So kind of tell us about your business and what types of materials do you see are common and have been successful with educating the folks as they're peeling back the onion and hopefully shaving off those deers. (laughs) Exactly. Well, a box of tissues is handy. 
<laughs> and then this is an area, it's such an interesting perspective when you think about it from an employer, an HR group, a benefits group, from their perspective, the re- getting ready to retire or making that transition is very much an underserved area. Mm-hmm. And it's underserved mainly because we've spent now what the last four decades helping people accumulate, helping employees accumulate these the nest egg. And we haven't really spent any time in any meaningful, and this is a generalization, meaningful time helping them navigate the transition. And that's because it's not an employer's obligation. This is not a plan now that you need to fund and follow the law, right? And social security is not in their bailiwick. It's, this is up to each employee, each person to figure out and Medicare to figure out. But that being said, here's the one thing I find relatively common among employers. Not all of them, but a lot of them. They have checklists. (laughs) And they have a little checklist that says something at the top, like getting ready to retire. And there might be, I don't know, 10, 15 little things you can check off. But they're very, very generic and they're not very helpful. Mm. Because it says things like figure out when you're going to claim Social Security. Decide when you're going to start Medicare. Those two things alone take a PhD to figure out either of those entitlement programs. And to think that a normal, regular, everyday, wonderful worker doing whatever they've been doing for the last 40 years can do this is a leap that cannot be made. So it's hard. It's just really, really tough that you, as an employer, don't have any obligation to do this. And yet you see the employees not necessarily being successful in retirement. So I always think of it as, and I'm almost there in in a lot of ways, I'll be 60 in July. And so I see myself, I'm standing at the top of the cliff, right? I've had this long climb, 45 years of climb, and I'm standing there and the ocean water is beautiful below. And then all of a sudden somebody comes up behind and shoves you right off that cliff. When you really feel that unprepared to land in that water and you've got to figure it all out on the way down. So there aren't a lot of good resources. Some employers do host or sponsor educational sessions, which is wonderful. That is super good for those who do that. But they think an hour of a presentation, I do a lot of these. I do presentations on getting ready to retire, transitioning to retirement, building a paycheck once your paycheck stops, and then Social Security and Medicare. So I do talk about these things, and you do it in an hour. You make it fun. And then you stay for another hour and a half answering one-on-one questions. And even then, you're not nearly scratching the surface of what these folks need to know. In order to take on, I call it a 30-year self-employment era. If you didn't want to be self-employed, you were working for a company. It's a whole different mix. And how do you make it happen? And how do you do it with any confidence? So, the good news is some of the employers are more focused on their, their I call it the 65 plus population. You might be earlier than that retiring, but it's that group we're talking about, the mid 60s. But there's not a lot out there for the employers to hang their hats on to their employees. That all makes such sense. And every person's social security journey is different. 
You've got married folks, divorced folks, widowed folks, single people, and each one of them has different abilities to claim, how much to claim, when, and the rules are all slightly different too, which are fun onion facts. So how can an employer be able to host or give this education, especially when they're looking at their employee demographics, and they're all different. They're everywhere person in there is complete. And a lot of times, I don't know how all employers are, but I'm pretty sure they don't know if John and Sally got divorced last year, or maybe they just don't want to know if John and Sally got divorced last year. None of their business. (laughs) Right. So keep an arm's length. That's that's exactly it. And this is why I say, I mean, no ding on the checklist that people do put out there because everyone's situation is so very radically different from the next. No one checklist works. But you, I can't, your checklist is going to be very different from mine, mm-hmm. even though we're both married women. My path was different than yours. My earnings were different. The years between Dan and me, how many, well, it's months in our case, it might be years between other spouses. Sure. I might be on my third marriage. You might be on your first. I might be a widow who remarried. So, all of this in employer. See, this is where, right. It goes over the line. The employer doesn't need to know any of that for you Mm -hmm. to do your job, you know, do your job. That's where the focus is. But, you know, in my space and the calls I get and the emails I get and the questions, first and foremost, they come from the employers, right? These poor benefits folks are going, ah, what do we do here? Mm -hmm. And, And how can we help people, our employees, or really the question should be, should we be helping our employees? And I would argue that the folks working at the company should not. They have their own jobs, their own roles. But I do think it's helpful to bring in the experts who can take on this kind of role and have the one-on-one conversations that are so necessary. Because you can't just generically say, like even the, the financial advisors who do a lot of planning, they want to know, should we always say, wait till 70 to claim social security, for example, mm. that's the age where you max out your benefit. Mm-hmm. No, you cannot say that. I know the math works out where you get more if mm-hmm. you wait until 70, but we have no idea who we're talking to. So you don't say wait until 70 if you have a chronic illness where you might not live 30 more years, or do you have dependent disabled children? that could get a benefit paid out based on you retiring and collecting your benefit. Like you don't know any of this as a, as an employer. And then as an advisor until you sit down one-on-one. So wow, it sounds very complicated. Well, it is and it, and it isn't. There, there are these rules that try to accommodate every situation. I talk about it in terms of you have to be able to connect the dots. And that's why it's so complicated because any one question, should I claim social security at 62 and keep working? Like how hard a question is that? Well, it turns out it's a really hard question to answer and to answer correctly for that person. Someone else, the answer would have been yes. We, we don't know until we ask all the right questions. And that's where an employer or someone who isn't in the weeds of this they can't get to the right answer. And there's not a general rule of thumb that applies for all. So it sounds like if you're an employer 
and you have this group of employees who are nearing that retirement red zone, 60-ish, give or take, up until whatever, they're continuing to work, but they're eligible for benefits. This would be a great opportunity to not host a internal meeting and a webinar about social security basics that someone Googled the information on. Exactly. Education is the key. I I am a firm believer in that. So if an employer would offer the education, that's awesome. But you can't just stop there. You can do social security basics and really should, but you also need to do how to build. And and one of the biggest mistakes I think regular people do, and it's really because we're too busy, they don't create retirement income plans, which are the recipe for how you're going to stretch out the money you do have and all the income sources you do have throughout a 30-year retirement. And because they don't have that plan, that's a really good educational course content also. So the overview then the social security basics, then the Medicare basics specific to your state, because by the mm-hmm. way, they're all different for the all 50 states and the territories. So of course, of, absolutely. Of course, that makes complete sense. Because yeah. why, why, would, why, it why, would, they all, why <laughs> would they be the same? <laughs> exactly. And so you have to do these basics and you basically are building a, you're not building a brick wall, you're building a plan with all the ingredients. You know, I talk about it like a lasagna, right? You have all the ingredients for a lasagna sitting out on the counter, but that does not a lasagna make. You need to know what to do with those noodles. Are they pre-cooked already or do you have to throw them in the boiling water? Do you put eggs in your regatta? Are you putting sausage in or something else? Is it a vegetable lasagna? And so forth. So everyone gets to pick their ingredients or has their ingredients, but how you assemble them makes for a successful or a not so successful retirement. That makes so much sense. Uh, well, our, again, our listeners, retirement plan advisors, they're out there, they're meeting with employers. A lot of people are in that age demographic where they do have retirement top of mind. Can you tell us specifically more about your business and how you help with these one-to-one style questions and unique situations? Sure. I have a, I consider it a flexible model. So depending what a retirement plan advisor might need. If he's looking to add or she's looking to add some value to their overall offering, they can have a chat with me. We talk about what they need. Do they need a series of workshops? Do they need some materials? Do they want it custom? If they want it custom to represent their firm, I will build custom presentations and either deliver them or train their folks to deliver them. But interestingly, There's no point in training a couple of presenters to like read the script that I wrote because once you open Pandora's box with Social Security or Medicare in particular, no questions you get, you'll know the answer to. So you have to bring in the expertise. So the the usual model that works in my world is I develop and have presentations that I can meet with their clients, employees and run the workshops. And then the offering can be anything from some employers then say, okay, we're going to hire Mantel Retirement Consulting to do one-on-ones with our folks who are actually retiring. And I then learn their plans and what their retiree offerings are. If anything, they don't have to have any retiree offerings, but it helps direct the conversation. And then I'd provide further education for that 
person or couple's unique situation. One of the big things that I do, people, they spend some time looking for tools, looking for more information. Don't look so hard. SSA.gov and Medicare.gov are the best tools out there for those two programs. Now, you need something else to put it all together, but just in trying to figure out your claiming time for Social Security or what to do with Medicare and how all the parts work, use these two very powerful tools that are already out there. And I help them. I navigate through. I'll run the tool on a Zoom. We'll do one-on-one like this, a Zoom call and show them the plan finder. They don't put in their drugs. I mean, this is all very, very personal information. But I show them where to put it in and why the dosing makes a difference and how to read the output. So that's a big piece that I offer. It's not common, though, for employers yet. They're dabbling with this idea. It's like one-on-one, and do you sell insurance? No, I do not sell anything. I mean, the, the payment for me comes from the employer because they want to provide this service to their employees. So that's an offering. And then I build a lot of custom content. So those custom worksheets. So I do them. If you're married, you have a completely different checklist than if you're divorced or if you're widowed or you're single, as you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. So building custom worksheets, custom action plans. I like, so those are some of the offerings that I have, as well as some free resources out on my blog as well that anyone can really take a look at. That's great. Thanks, Marcia. A wonderful overview. I appreciate that. Well, in your years of experience, you have probably seen a stumble from time to two. Do you have any kind of top of mind stories that you would want to share with us about do you, sometimes you hear stories from of older folks who are listening to their neighbors or their friends or their family, and they're like, this is a great idea. They get really excited because that's the advice that they got. And then they claim either Social Security or they pick Medicare, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, uh, and then something happens, and then they call you and they go, was I supposed to do that? You know, that's always the order it occurs. I took these actions. Now I'd like for you to confirm it. And I often am the bad guy. Sometimes everything worked out fine, but it's like, where, why did you think you wanted to claim Social Security early? And I just literally heard this last week because I get these calls all the time. And it was that um, a woman who's 65, fortunately, she called early and she wanted to know, did I think it was a good idea for her to claim Social Security now? She's 65, but her full retirement age isn't for about a year and a half. So she didn't know about the reduction. And I said to her, why do you want to claim now? And she literally said, well, my best friend claimed and she loves getting a check in the mail. It's like, oh, goodness, that is no reason to claim Social Security. And when you take that step back, right, you say, well, maybe it was a great suggestion. Maybe this person who called me has a chronic illness. Maybe she doesn't. All right. So we take that off the table. Then they both happen to be married. She did share that. Well, she and her husband are close in age. The other woman, the best friend, her husband is about 15 years older than she is. He's long been retired. He was the big moneymaker between the two of them. Okay. That's a completely different scenario than someone whose husband's a year older. This woman who called had her own benefits. The other woman did not. She was a fully dependent spouse. So every possible thing that could be different was different. And yet you hear someone's getting, quote, free money, 
you can understand why they want it. So that is a very popular kind of scenario. Another one, um, I, again, I love that people call and inform me what they're doing. And this is it's often uh, more on the male side of the equation. But a husband called and we were chatting one day and, and he informed me that his wife was going to go ahead and start taking her spousal benefit, but he was going to wait until age 70. And I said, and spousal. So terminology is super important in our world. And I said, what do you mean a spousal benefit? Oh, well, she doesn't have her own social security record. She was an at-home mom. It's like, okay, well, that's great. But the rule is she cannot get a quote spousal benefit until you're in the pool. It's like, what do you mean? So I had to explain the rules about what spousal benefits are and how they are attached to the wage earning spouse. And they only trigger on when the wage earner claims, in this case, his benefit. On top of that, She's two years older than he is. So when all was said and done, if he waited till 70, which he can, of course, do, he would get the maximum benefit, but she'd be 72. So she gets no benefits at all until 72. Until you get at this and and, and peel those onions for each individual person or couple, those are the kinds of mistakes in thinking that are happening out there. I have a girlfriend who she's very, very smart. She was married for call it 15 years and her husband owned a big contracting construction conglomerate, like huge. Mm -hmm. And she had, they had two kids together and she stepped back in her career to take care of the kids as he was building kind of this huge company. And now they've gotten divorced since that time. And she's back in like the dating world. She's got this great new boyfriend and he's asking her the next question, the serious question. Mm. And she's like, I love you and all, but I don't love you that much (laughs) because she understands that her other husband, her first husband was such a primary breadwinner that her benefits are going to be much better. (laughs) She's telling this poor guy, I, yeah, we're good. Like we're, we're we can live together. (laughs) Well, that's a great story, Rebecca. And one that see, I would peel the onion further. So, And this does come up sometimes, like the first husband who's the doctor, the dentist, or the bigger wage earner than than the love of your life who came around second. The cap on Social Security income or insurance benefits is just slightly over $3,000 per month for the highest earners in the land, and he would be among them. Once you go over the taxable wage base, which is set every year, your FICA payments stop into social security. And the net effect of that is your benefit payments are also capped. This year, they're capped at about $3,100. So as a dependent spouse, she's absolutely right. If she meets all those rules, which sounds like she does for a divorced person, she'll get half of his PIA, half of his insurance benefit. For simple math, we'll say it's $3,000. The most she's going to get is $1,500 a month. Now, for number two over here, <laughs> maybe with him, she'd get exactly the same amount as a spouse. So the real difference comes in when the order of people dying, which is never a pleasant subject, by the way. But if the first husband dies first 
and she can step into widow benefits, that might be more beneficial in the long run. But it's hard to plan for the order of people dying. Yeah, that's We're funny. We're not advocating that, that here, by the no, way. No, <laughs> definitely not. Let's not plan for that. But I love that a woman is thinking financially and not just with her heart. It's very important that we do both. It, it, and it's not something very many women tend to do. Well, while on the topic of income replacement, and I love that you keep talking about this as an income plan and it's a strategy and really got to think of it as a, a total dollar. When you, in real life, you see lots of people claiming for social security. And I have a strange suspicion that the percentage of the income that they anticipate versus what they get is not the same. So in your experience, what give everyone here an idea of what is kind of a reasonable percentage that you see on a regular basis of income replacement that people could anticipate, I use kind of in an air quotes way, when they're thinking about the benefits. It is a great topic, and I see it across the faces when I present in person, back when we could do that. They thought, by and large, smart people at every level of a company, they thought Social Security was going to replace their income. So however much they're making, it's 100%. Well, Social Security is an insurance benefit. It is not an income driver. So we have to rethink how we think about Social Security, meaning it is meant to be there as a social safety net to provide us with a little bit of money so that we can put some food on the table and a roof, small roof, maybe a tent over our heads. (laughs) And that's all it's ever been designed for, just a very small social safety net. So the way Social Security talks about it is they look to for the average worker. So if you have earned the average wages in America, think in terms of like $55,000 this year. It's about the right number. Um, Social Security should replace about 40% of that. Not in raw dollars. There's a different calculation for what it's really replacing, but somewhere around 40%. I look at it a different way. What you have to do as you become self-employed in retirement is you have to replace however much you want to spend. No one cares how much that is. It has to work for you. So if you typically spend, like you literally write your checks and use your debit card and use your credit cards and you're spending $50,000 a year, you have to have at least $50,000 a year coming into your household in retirement. And people then take that step back and go, no, 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 wait, wait, Marsha, wait. We all downsize in retirement. It's like, really, do you? So on Friday, you're working and spending a certain amount. On Monday, you're retired. What changed over the weekend? Well, really, absolutely nothing. So you spend the same or more when you're in retirement with all this free time Mm -hmm. than you ever did while you were working and mostly busy at the office and on the job. So there's not a percentage per se. There's a management of the spigots you get to turn on in your household. And that's what you have to figure out. And by you, I mean every individual and individual family, because there's no magic in social security. Like I said, it is capped at $3,100 per month this year if you are amongst the highest earners. Most men get about $2,000 a month. Most women get about $1,600 a month. If you spend $10,000 a month, 
you still only get 2000 or 1600 So you've got to get this working from your other assets. And in that regard, I will say you, you might want to use as a good anchor. People talk about a 4% withdrawal rate as a rule. It is not a rule. It is a very specific set of criteria that delivered on if you need income for 30 years, which we use in the retirement world, you can maybe take out about 4% and have your pool of money last. Well, that means $40,000 if you have a million dollars saved. The numbers, Rebecca, Mm -hmm. there aren't a whole lot of Americans who have a million bucks saved. So we really, that's why I go back to that recipe. What is your recipe? What is your plan? And where's the money going to come from? And what choices or trade-offs are you going to make? So that's how I think about this. What's your replacement rate? Well, it's however much you spend. Such great information. Thanks, Marcia. All right, last question. What other tips, tools, resources would you recommend to our listeners today? Well, I am quite biased on this one particular tip I'm going to give you. I strongly recommend that if you're going to play in the retirement income space, you need a professional designation. The one that I support and have is the Retirement Management Advisor designation from Investments and Wealth Institute. I also happen to teach Social Security and Medicare. I mean, I'm really biased on this one. So it's a great designation. It gives you some of the framework that we're talking about here and covers so much of the onion. Get a designation and really dive in and be mindful of how what you say leads to actions by very real people. So that's my first tip. The second I already gave you, which is Medicare.gov and SSA.gov. The plan finder on Medicare.gov is excellent. You need to work with it a little bit to get the hang of it, but all the information's there for prescription drugs, supplemental plans, and so forth. And the third is one that surprisingly not many people know about, and that is your local council on aging. These are provided under the old age committee in Congress. There's a subcommittee on aging Americans and the National Council on Aging is a big group supporting the needs of our older citizens and every county by and large, some of the smaller counties don't and most cities have a COA, a Council on Aging, and they have tons of information about what it means to retire in your area, about the Medigap and Medicare Advantage plans available in your county. And it's just an amazing resource for everyone. Plus, they have fun programming and information all around for what it's like to be an older American. So that's a really important group to get to know in your area. So those are my three biggies. Wow. Great final tips. Wonderful ideas. Thank you. All right. Well, how, as we can kind of conclude today's podcast, how can our listeners get in contact with you, Marcia? Well, best place is my website, mantelretirementconsulting.com. I know it's a little long, but mantelretirementconsulting.com. And also through my blog, which is boomerretirementbriefs.com. And that's just fun little stories about baby boomers, how they're reinventing retirement, and a whole lot of stuff about Social Security and then Medicare. And I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook as well. 
Excellent. Wow. Well, I feel like I have learned a ton about about you, about Social Security, about Medicare, about onions, about yes. making a delicious lasagna. I'm hungry over here. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining today's podcast. We greatly appreciate it. And you have shared an overwhelming wealth of knowledge. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. It was wonderful to be here with you. Thank you so much for listening to today's 401k marketing podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of our guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of 401k marketing. The content has been available for informational and educational purposes only. We hope you enjoyed.